Welcome to another episode of Quiet Please. My guest today is Johnson Wagner, three-time winner on the PGA Tour. One of the nicest guys in the game. One of the best mustaches in the game. Now he's announcing golf. And we had a fun conversation about a variety of things. His approach to his new gig, the upcoming PGA Championship at Oak Hills, PGA Tour and Live, pace of play. That's a big topic. Caddying and caddies. Johnson used to be a caddy. The one time he played with Tiger and his favorite memory in golf when he made a putt to force a playoff in Houston in 2015, dancing all over the green. We end up with some fun talk about music and golf, which segues perfectly for who he'd have on the bag if he could. The answer makes a lot of sense. It's a fun listen. I'd like to dedicate it to my dad, Jerry, who passed away a few weeks ago. Such a generous and kind guy, much like Johnson. So it's fitting. Love you, dad. Enjoy the show. Joined by Johnson Wagner, a uh, good friend of mine, uh, three-time winner on the PGA Tour, uh, now announcing for Golf Channel, uh, PGA Tour Live, has a podcast as well with Five Clubs Golf, Gary Williams' outfit there in Charlotte. Thanks for taking some time, Johnson. John, it is always a pleasure to be with you. Yes, it's fun. It's it's good to see that mustache in person now, and I guess your mustache popped on my screen earlier this year, maybe it was last fall. Like, Tell us a little bit. What you're up to now, because you're not swinging the sticks as often. I'm not swinging the sticks at all at the moment. Um, I got a call right after the President's Cup from a good friend of mine. Uh, he's been a researcher at Golf Channel for 10, 12 years. His name's Kevin Ryan. And he said, hey, your name came up in a production meeting. Any chance you'd want to do a Golf Central week? Uh, and I, I've been kind of thinking about TV for a while, and it just fell on my lap. So I went up for the to Stanford, Connecticut for the Houston Open, and had an absolute blast, was nervous, but worked with Cara Banks my first week doing it, and she was awesome, and the whole team up there is cool, and I've now done, I think, six weeks of Golf Central, and they have added a bunch more to my schedule. I've done some broadcast side of the of – the, I've, I've, I've done three – this is my third this week, uh, you know, on the ground broadcasting, and, and I have more of those added, so I am fully committed and, and having a blast doing TV. Yeah, I saw you in Puerto Rico. I was down there caddying, and that was your first walk and talk, and now it sounds like this is your third. And you're at the Club Pro Championship this week. Of course, it'll be over when it airs, but I was looking at the leaderboard last night, and there's some names that popped up to me, and and this is the final round today, so we'll know kind of who's going to be in this thing next week. Uh, Andrew Storm from Omaha, he has to go low today. Uh, but Tom Johnson I saw on the leaderboard. And then how cool would it be to see J.J. Colleen play his way into the PGA and JJ. So I've been here. It's actually, today's the third round. Um, so is, it four, it, is it four rounder? It, it's four rounds. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. This is uh, okay. JJ is one of the guys, since I've got this job, I, I was so excited to see JJ and I have not seen him yet. I did walk a couple holes with TJ Tom Johnson the other day. And he is, was always one of my favorite dudes to be out with on the corn Ferry tour. And what a gentleman he is. He's up at the Meadow Club now, which is just north of uh, San Francisco. Just He was at Olympic and went to the Meadow Club. It's an old Alistair McKenzie just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. And, uh, dude, he is such a chill California, just a cool cat. Yeah, dude, that's good to know. So I, I reached out to the old pro at the Meadow Club maybe five, six years ago before we were heading to Napa. And I said, can I get on out there? And he said, yeah, anytime. And then it just didn't work out for whatever reason. But now that I know TJ's up there, like that's on my bucket list to play. Have you ever played it? No, but I've talked to Zach Blair about it, and uh, it's supposed to be just fantastic. Just old school, you know, hasn't been messed with a ton. And, right. uh, yeah, it's, you know, I'm a big fan of McKenzie's stuff. So, that yeah, it's on my bucket list, too. Okay, we'll get up there. So then uh, you were saying uh, in the studio, on the ground, which one are you digging most so far? I, I have a blast in studio. A lot of a lot of players don't really enjoy it, but I, I have so much fun in studio. The team up there, we've got this uh, – you know, we have a production meeting, have about two hours before the pregame show, and then we watch golf all day, and then we do the postgame show, and and we watch golf together. There's like six of us. We've got a three-screen set up. And I mean, it's like I'm in a sports bar all day, minus the, <laughs> minus, minus the beer, but uh, it, is, uh, it is so much fun. But on the ground's great, too. Like, 
getting out on the road and, and seeing friends and like seeing you in Puerto Rico. I love, you know, Matt Hauser, my old caddy. I love hanging with caddies and players and, and it just, it just feels good. I feel a little more connected to the game on the ground, but I'm really happy. A mixture of both in, in a perfect world, 10, 12 of each uh, a year would be really good, really good for me. Sounds like you're on your way. We had my first guest ever. This is my third episode. My first guest ever. We had Paul McGinley on who is just tearing it up right now. I mean, uh, so to have you on here, the third guest, we, we sandwiched Gino Benelli in between. So we've had a good lineup so far. Um, we were catching up in Puerto Rico and, and just maybe you can expand on this a little bit with the announcing. Tell us what is the voice? What is your voice that you're going for out there? Cause you were pretty clear with me on kind of what you're trying to do on your side. I mean, I never really appreciated, uh, analysts, you know, dogging on players um it's happened to me a bunch and if, if you know if a player hits a bad shot makes a bad decision i'm fine being critical of that but uh i i, I want to highlight i want to highlight players i want to highlight player caddy relationships i want to i want to make i want to pump them up and and you yep. know the fact is when we're watching golf on tv we're watching guys playing at a really high level so um I just don't see any reason to be critical just to be critical. And, and I think there's a few people in the industry that are that way. Right. That's interesting. So let me touch on that a little bit later, just because, I mean, you've won on tour, you've missed cuts by a shot on tour. You've, I mean, you've had highs and lows. So you get it, you know how hard it really is. So it sounds like you're just kind of aware of that as you're kind of analyzing things. Yeah. that And, and it's, it's so fun. Cause I do feel like I, not that I've run the spectrum because I haven't been like a top 50 player in the world, but I've, I've won a couple decent sized events and, and I've been really bad. I've been really bad at golf. So I think I do understand the spectrum. I mean, you know, how hard it is to keep your card as a rookie and uh, you know, here at the club pro, like I've got a bunch of friends at the club pro this week. So I feel like I, I feel like I have a, a unique ability to, to tell the story from a, from a player's perspective. Right. Right. And now, just to be clear, do you have a tea time on Thursday at Quail Hollow this week? Because you could make it if you had one. No, I, 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 I wish. I mean, no, I don't wish. I played in the Pro-Am out here at the uh, Club Pro, played with the defending champion, Jesse Mueller, and I played the up tee with the uh, with the, other, <laughs> the other participants. And it was bad. I, it's a desert golf course here in New Mexico, and I think I lost six golf balls off the tee. So I do not have a tea time at Wells. I'm going to get back about – two o'clock on thursday and i'm looking forward to being a spectator that's your home club though right it is quail hollow it's uh, this is the first year i've played every wells fargo since 2007 so this is a this is it's a bit bittersweet um but but you know it's my it's my future it's uh, you know professional athletes it's hard to say that about myself but when we retire it's 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 tough uh to to not compete anymore, but this TV thing and still being around golf has sure made it easier. That's great. That's great to hear. So I guess uh, just so people know a little bit, I mean, I wanted to catch people up a little bit, how we know each other. Um, we've got a connection through a kit. You mentioned caddies, Pepsi, Steve, my longtime roommate, and you had Pepsi had a lot of success together. Um, I was talking to my producer before you popped on about when you won at the Houston open uh, that week. And, and then you got on a private jet with Pepsi and flew to the masters and he gave me a ticket and I hopped on there. It was just an amazing week. Um, so we have that connection going back to like, Oh six, you know, it's been a while. Um, but you also won the Oh six Cox classic here in Omaha. And, uh, we got on a bus, your bus after that. And that was a great trip. Do you remember where we drove to after we got on your bus? I remember Katie was Katie was there and I think she left Omaha and it was you, me, Pepsi, and we were headed east. We yep. would have gone to uh mm, I'm blanking. Rochester, New York to Arondacoy. That's right. Okay, right. Oh, right by Oak Hill. Okay. That's coming full circle with it because I wanted to talk to you about the PGA championship. And I thought that I looked it up last night, and that's exactly where we went. Um, and that week stands out to me for a couple reasons. I did get a two-stroke penalty on my player that week for raking a bunker uh, before he played a shot from it. A little bit. You were pretty scared. green back in those yeah, days. Yeah, I got a little scared of the cameras. I think we were playing with Kevin Stadler on a Saturday, and it was that drivable par four uh, that they had the tees moved up or whatever. And, and Merrick, you know, hit it into the bunker, pitch mark, 
scooted through the bunker. And meanwhile, Stadler's getting the ruling over here. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to help speed up play. So I'll get in here in the meantime and just rake that splash mark. And I got in there. Merrick's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, getting us a two-shot penalty. So that was a hard lesson. But I also remember that week going across afterwards and playing. We, I played at the West Course, but I was catching up with our buddy Tim Quinn last week. And he says he remembers going over and playing the East Course with you one afternoon after your tea time. Do you remember that? I do. I absolutely do. I don't remember the golf course that well. And I'm usually, I'm usually pretty good about remembering golf courses, especially ones like Oak Hill. But uh, I don't, I wonder why I don't remember it. <laughs> we, uh, we must have had a good time, but yeah, I remember Ironicoy and, and Rochester and I'm actually going to work uh, the weekend for Sirius XM. So okay. I'm excited to get out there and see it. I've, I've looked at a lot of videos on the Andrew green renovation and, it looks really like they thinning out some tree. I mean, there's still plenty of trees, but thinning out the trees and better grass conditions and, and sight lines. I, I, I love the way modern renovations are going. So I think, uh, I think it's going to be an awesome U.S. Open. I mean, an awesome uh, PGA. And I had one of the guys I played with. He's the president of the PGA here, uh, John Lindert. We were talking about the weather and he said, you know what? The course is in shape. The leaves are out. He said, the weather's the weather. I was at Augusta on Saturday and it was 40 degrees and raining. And I was like, he kind of blew my mind because I've been stressing about what the weather's going to be like up there in Rochester in the NMA, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Golf is going to be good. It's best players in the world. Whatever it is, it is. Like, it's not, there's no sense in stressing because you can't change it. Well, it, it so you got to play it that day. Had you had any other experience on that golf course? That was kind of your one time around. Cause I know I looked it up before we and you didn't play at the PGA in 13 uh, you must have just missed out that year yeah probably was pretty close I had a second at Greenbrier I don't that, that's that's a great point yeah no I only played it the one time when we were up there for the nationwide tour and Jason Duffner won how about that yeah Duffner your boy <laughs> Duff Daddy so well let's talk about it a little bit because I did look at the video last week if we don't you know talk about the course a little bit I mean they have changed it they've Oh, let it breathe a little bit. Like you said, it's playing 7,400 yards. I mean, they've kind of restored it back to what it used to be. It's a Donald Ross golf course. I mean, it's a really difficult golf course. There's a lot of variety out there too. A lot of bunkers. Um, so it's going to be playing tough. I mean, is there a, a, a skill set or a, a, a group of players that kind of comes to mind uh, when you start to think about that tournament in a week? I mean, you've got to go with, You've got to go with, I mean, obviously it's, it's so cliche, but yeah, you know, John Rahm, Jordan Spieth, it's the, the best are going to, the cream is going to rise to the top. Scotty Scheffler has been so consistent the last couple of years that you know, he's going to be around in the hunt. And when I look at Oak Hill, I, I think about the country club reminds me sort of, of, of that kind of a venue, Nor Northern yep. tree line with rough. And, and, and I, I think, um, it's also, I would, I know Wingfoot's obviously not a Don Ross, it's an Alistair McKenzie, but all those Northeastern type courses. So if you look back at champions of those events and, and, and that's, that's who I'm looking for, but you know, I, I need to, I need to see it. I'm actually, as we're having this conversation, I'm a little stressed out because I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the analyst in the booth for Sirius XM and I need to get around that golf course just to know it better. But um, you know, typical Donald Ross styling is crowned greens. Yep. But I think it's – I don't think there's a lot of chipping areas around Oak Hill. I'm pretty sure it's – the rough is right up to the edges of yep. the green. So that that's a whole different strategy. Yeah, it looked that way. And I tell you what, I'll tell you, I I have a futures ticket. You know, I, I like to dabble every once in a while. I put a ticket in. I don't know if it, I got great odds on it, but at 28 to 1, I got a ticket on Cam Young. That dude is going to win very soon. Hopefully it's getting to the point now where – like, whoa, he hasn't won yet. But with the I, I thought Chad Reynolds and he had a great relationship and what an incredible rookie year. But Paul Tesori is a different sort of guy. And, and Cam Young's quiet. And and mm -hmm. I, I always thought Chad Chad Reynolds was pretty quiet. And I think Paul mm -hmm. Tesori is an outgoing guy. And I, I think the that caddy change is gonna prove to be yep. huge for Cam Young. And you already see it with their first couple of weeks. They had the Second at the match play, top ten at the Masters, and I think Cam Young. I, I I'm always a fan of him to win, and and just what he's done in two years in major championships is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a long list. In fact, I was kind of gonna ask you, um, 
I got to scroll down here a little bit, but I had a list. If you if you had to pick one of these guys to win their first major this year, who would you take? And it's a tough list, but Patrick Cantley, Xander, Max Homa, Tony Finau, or Victor Hovland. Oof, goodness gracious. I only get one? You only get one, or you could take two if you think two of them are going to clip it this year. I'm going to give you reasons why I want one, and then I'm going to give you another one. Okay. Uh Max Homa has entered a new era in his career, or so I at least thought on the West Coast when he was putting himself there in every every single week. I did not see him play great in Florida, which is a bit concerning, but I, I was expecting him to be around the top 10 at the Masters, was a little disappointed. I think one thing about his game is he's pretty much exclusively left to right off the tee, mm-hmm. and at a place like Augusta, there are occasions when you really just have to turn it right to left. Um, that concerns me about his game, just the exclusivity of his of his driver ball flight. Um, Tony Finau is unbelievable. I, I think one thing, his hands are a little low when he putts. He's got that the toe of his putter sits off the ground. Mm-hmm. I, I really want to reach out to Mark Urbanic and say, look, get your man's hands higher. Get that putter sold on the ground. And I think, I think Tony Finau could win a lot of majors, but – if I got to pick one, it's it's Victor Hovland. Yeah, he looks like he, he's trending. He's trending, and he's just he's so he yes he's his short game is concerning, but he's working at it. And he he talked about it at Augusta. He's starting to see it come out on the golf course. What he's working on is becoming more natural. And at a course like Oak Hill, chipping out a long rough is basically just like bunker shots over and over. And I think he's got, I think he's got a shot Victor Hovland's winning a major in the next two years. I like that. He's got such a good attitude for it. You know, Um, I would say also just to to pivot back to the East coast golf, you brought it up a little bit. One of the things I I knew about you that you had won the metropolitan, which is this famous tournament in New York and you'd won it. I didn't know you won it back to back, but the first time you won it was as an amateur at Beth page black the year after Tiger won there uh, for what was the U.S. Open, maybe or no? Was it the? Did he win there in two thousand or was that? He won there in two thousand two. I won there in oh one. I won He's, the year before. He was inspired by you. Yeah, exactly. That there's the you know the Metropolitan Golf Association runs an incredible event, and they've got the Met Open, the Met Amateur, and they've got a Met Am Stroke Player a Stroke Play event, and they play these events at Piping Rock. Mm-hmm. Somerset Hills, Wingfoot. They, they they play these incredible golf courses. I won the Met Open at Bethpage and Wingfoot. Like, mm-hmm. please. Yeah. And when I, actually, the one at Wingfoot in 2002, I turned pro. That was my first event. And oh. you know, the check was 23000 bucks. I, I paid for Q School, bought a car, and paid my travel expenses for you know, for all of Q School. So it was the Met Open was the, the reason I never had to get a sponsor to, yeah. to try to play professionally. Man, that's awesome. Um, and then I, I guess we, you mentioned the Masters, and I, I was curious about – I know you're a company man, but I, I want to maybe break it down to just this element of this live PGA Tour thing. Um, it was interesting to me at the Masters. It was the first time we had kind of seen everybody together again since last fall. Um, obviously, some of the live guys played well. Brooks, you know, made an appearance and was up there. Um, but there was also this kind of understory of, like, the guys seeming – to not have any beef. Um, I was curious if you thought that that was just everybody playing nice because it's Augusta and everybody's happy to be at Augusta, uh, or if the media has been overplaying this a little bit and it doesn't really exist, you know, because there's two elements. There's the player-to-player thing, and then there's this PGA Tour versus Live thing that's built up. I'm just curious your take on how it went down at Augusta and then what you think you might see at the PGA Championship. Now here's the second time we all get together. Yeah, I was really happy to not see Sergio speak a lot at Augusta. You know, I think I think I think it's so player dependent. Um, I think everybody obviously was on their best behavior at Augusta. They the, no, but none of those live guys wanted to say anything that was going to ruin it for them going forward. Um, I, I think I think certain players have handled the whole situation really poorly, and I think certain players have handled it really well. Cam Smith. I got no issues with Cam, even Brooks. I mean, Brooks isn't my favorite guy in the world, but I've got no issues with him. I mean, take your money and go come back, play in the majors. It's the guys that sued the PGA tour that I have a real issue with. And I think if you, uh, you know, if you put a mic in front of Patrick Reed, I think he's going to say some, some stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, the, the people hating on 
the PGA tour that left, like, I, I, I guess I, I just don't understand a tour that built you, gave you your name. You've got a retirement program and it. Like if, if you choose to leave, great go, but you don't have to bad mouth it when you leave, like the tour's right. done like nothing but helped all of these guys build themselves. So, but I think, yeah, going forward to the PGA, I think if we see more, more, more live guys, I, I think that the tone could definitely change. I think everybody respects the masters so much that, that they were on their best behavior for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're right. You put the microphone in front of certain guys and they're going to be like how they always are. Like, I mean, you know, you're around these guys enough. I'm around these guys, you know, Sergio Garcia, no surprises there. Patrick Reed, no surprises there. Like it's just kind of par for the course um, respect for their games. But yeah, uh, one was interesting last week, Taylor Gooch, you know, legendary range goats player, get back to back winner has an invite into the PGA championship, which is cool. And it seems like that's going to be the trend going forward. Everybody's like, bitching and moaning about the world golf rankings. And I, I get that and I don't at the same time, but it seems like the majors are just going to figure it out on their own. And it's going to be in the near term, not a big deal in terms of like field strength and giving these guys some access. So he won back to back. He won both events. He won Adelaide yeah. and Singapore. Taylor Gooch, And the PGA gave him an exemption into the Last PGA. PGA. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Wow, I, I need to, I need to get my head out of the, uh, out of the sand. Here. You're in New Mexico, man. You're eating tamales and you're, watching jj colleen play golf so i mean you'll I'm get there tired. i've had I've, I've eaten a lot of green chilies this week that's <laughs> it's delicious but yeah that's i mean good good for them i that live doesn't deserve world ranking points in my opinion they're not they don't meet the criteria and mm -hmm. even if they did under the new system which is going to be a real issue for the pga tour because this new system went in in august last year and the tours worked on it for five years to change it it, it punishes short fields yeah. So, so live, even if they were to get points under the current structure, it would be less than a corn ferry tour event. Um, and you have to play four rounds. So that's, that's a big deal. And what would they call themselves then? Uh, <laughs> the name but, of the compromise. But the, but the PGA tour worked so hard to change these. And now you want your eight or 11 with the playoffs, biggest events to be short fields. You're going to crush your own world ranking system. So uh, they're not doing themselves any favors. No. Yeah. So that's a great, um, that's a great segue into what I wanted to ask you about next. Cause you were on the pack for a long time. You were on the policy board. Like you've been in the room, you know, recently uh, you're at all the player meetings, you know, at least. And so I just want to get your take. Um, you know, let's talk about just the changes that the PGA tour has made in the last year or so. How much of those changes were made recently in a, broom closet at the 11th hour and how much of those were actually on the table being discussed in the last few years and then just kind of happened like i'm just so that, that i'm clouded by how that all went down maybe it doesn't make a difference but you know i'm, I'm curious if you could shed some light on it my first couple of years on the board every decision we made had to go through the player advisory council pack and that's 16 players all different ranges of of uh, status and uh now, it seems like my last year on the board, we passed the player impact program. They wanted us to put verbiage in that if you left for a competing tour, you were banned for life. Mm. And uh, I was the senior board member and I'm looking around. It's Jordan Spieth, Kevin Kisner and James Hahn. And I look at them and I'm like, guys, we had a little breakfast meeting before the meeting. I said, I'm not comfortable being the one that puts this language in. Like we shouldn't put this language in without going back to the pack and, and, and get their opinion. And, and the, actually all the independent directors and they got a little offended that we wouldn't just do it. And they're like, what, you don't want to protect your tour. And we're like, no, of course we want to protect our tour, but we're, we're not willing banned for life. Do you, ha do you have any idea like what that means? Like we're independent contractors and this is, you're talking about the entire membership. So later in that very meeting, we passed the player impact program, uh, which, I think has been fine, but it didn't do anything to keep Phil Mickelson, Brooks Koepka, Dustin Johnson. And, and now it seems like they push these decisions with the designated events and, and the, the no cut structure. They, they push it through the board without even talking to the membership or the pack about it. So I, I think things are changing. The tour is allowing the players to dictate more, which I think is a good thing. Uh, I just think the top players dictating it, they deserve more. They bring the revenue in. They, they do all that. But, you know, Tiger said at the Masters, he doesn't want the Genesis to be a no-cut event. Yeah. 
Jack Nicholas doesn't want Memorial to be a no-cut event. Arnold Palmer certainly wouldn't. The Waste Management Phoenix Open, you think they want to cut their field in half mm -hmm. and have that many less yeah. uh, people on a Thursday, Friday not selling beer and not selling all the alcohol too? Like, I just – I don't think the players understand – I don't think the top players understand the structure of, of the PGA Tour – no Monday pro-ams, uh, barely any people to play Wednesday pro-ams like that. That's stuff that that's stuff that matters to the host organizations. And, and I, I think there's a balance that needs to be found between the PGA Tour and the top players and, and come to an agreement on some things, because these it's it's ludicrous to have your biggest events. No cut. And clearly the World Golf Championship structure did not pan out the way it should. It's gone. And, and they had trouble with venues and sponsors. And anyway, yeah. I. I that makes sense. And you've been, you've been, you've made your point on that before. And, and I, I agree with you on the no cut thing for sure, I guess. So then what is five years from now say, what does the PGA tour with kind of this, you know, you got PGA tour big time, then you got PGA tour, the rest of it. And then now we've got this course sorting it all out corn Ferry tour, like five years from now, do you think it's going to settle into like a really nice product? Or are you concerned? Well, I think the designated event structure is great. I think the the venues have been, I mean, the, the, the tournaments have been incredible. We've had wonderful storylines. I mean, now Scheffler and Rahm have won most of them, but that's, they're the best players in the world. Um, I've thought for a long time that there was going to be a FedEx tour, right? And it's going to be the FedEx PGA tour and then the PGA tour underneath it. And I think the Corn Ferry and PGA tour underneath it need to merge and be one big, nice mm -hmm. tour. Mm -hmm. uh, play for three million dollars a week. You know, not make sponsors pay eight million. You have plenty of big names, and uh, I think that's what I, I think the direction we're headed is to have like a twenty event FedEx season, and then the PGA Tour Corn Ferry merging together. All right. Well, one one more heavy hitter then, and and we'll get on to some lighter stuff. Is pace of play in reality a big problem on and for the PGA Tour? Yes, and it, and it it's it's affecting the junior golf as well. Junior golf, collegiate golf. I've heard collegiate golf is is brutal. How slow they play. So I think I think the problem is we need to train the best players at a junior golf level. That pace of play is important. Like my son Graham plays junior events, and and there's these kids that play slow, and there's no there's nobody out there. They don't have the staffing to monitor it, but. Mm -hmm. uh, if you had a couple volunteers that could push these groups through, it just it would make a big difference. Yes. Pace of play is an issue and it's an issue across competitive golf. It's not just the PGA tour field size has a lot to do with that. I mean, on the weekend on the PGA tour, if we're in twosomes, we usually play in three and a half hours, but uh, when you have 156 guys, Oh my gosh, speaking of pace of play, the club pro yeah. they're playing in six hours around this place. Yeah. And now it's hilly. It's long, but it's, it's been brutal, but yeah, pace of play needs something needs to happen. I think officials are just a little bit leery to to dole out penalties, but we need to we need to give penalties. Two shots makes two. You start penalizing guys for slow play, not with money and fines like it kind of currently is, but start giving them two shot penalty and they'll they'll speed up. Okay, yeah, I agree with you, and it's been fun for me to. I've watched baseball for the first time this year in a long time, and I mean that's a little different structure, but that's worked for them. So it'd be interesting to see. It'd take a little getting used to, but it might like that change overnight they're getting they're they're cutting 30 45 minutes off of baseball games aren't they yeah exactly yeah exactly it's no big deal now yeah it's, it's a little artificial that they had to do it that way it's not you know babe Ruth's not on the mound anymore but it's it's working but for golf like i just think there's so many variables with with wind and it's a tough shot and like a, the, the idea of a shot clock to me in golf just i think yeah. the european tour did it a number of years ago it, it it just just doesn't it just doesn't work like if I'm on the tee and I've got a seven iron in my hand on a par three and it's downwind and then I'm at 22 seconds and I'm getting ready to pull the trigger and the wind completely does a 180, uh, I go back to my bag to get a different club and then boom, the shot clock goes off. <laughs> I get penalized because the wind completely switched directions and yeah. I'm a fast player. Like I would probably hit a shot within 15 seconds of most. So I, I just think there's – there's too many variables in golf, and I think it's such a subjective decision by a rules official, and it's that's not something they want to do is penalize guys' strokes, but it's, yeah. we're getting to the point where it's going to have to happen. Yeah, I just think my take on it has always been 
I feel like people like to bitch about it more than it is an actual issue. I that's yeah. just exa- that's kind of what I think. But um, yeah, I, I think we could go faster too. I, I get that, but not at the detriment of the product, you know. And but you also right. see those moments when guys get on the clock and they play well too. So it's just kind of like hard to tell exactly. But I think doling out shots is going to be the thing. Um, let's talk about caddying a little bit. Um, you caddied at Hudson National. I saw. Was that what? How old were you when you were caddying out there? I started uh, the summer after my senior year of high school, uh, and I lost thirty pounds. It's a yeah. it's a walking only place, full jumpsuit, hilly as can be, double bagging it all summer. Um, I kept it out there for four summers. Yeah, it was the it was it was an incredible. Uh, I learned a lot about people. That's kind of, I think, where I came out of my shell was caddying at Hudson National. I learned about the different types of people because I, I caddied for some of the greatest. And it's a, it was a, obviously, it's a, it's a high-end place, so it was wealthy people. And uh, I caddied for some of the coolest, most down-to-earth, humble people. And then some of the biggest, uh, can I cuss on this show? Sure. Some of the biggest pricks you could ever imagine in your life that just treated me like dirt. And uh, they had no idea that I played golf. They didn't even care. I was a caddy and I was beneath them. And it was so nice to just be respected by people. And it, it shines such a light when, when I was treated the way I was poorly. And, and, and I, like I said, I, I learned a lot about human behavior. <laughs> well, and I would say, I mean, you're a nice guy. You're one of the most well-liked guys on tour, but you've also always liked to kind of hang in the caddy yard. I remember when we had the bus, out on tour where it would be that you could eat breakfast in it. Like you would love to hang out there and get lunch with the caddies or if it's, you know, you're getting ready to go uh, warm up after playing in the afternoon, you'll come in and have lunch with your caddy. Like you really like hanging out with caddies because you are a caddy, you know, as well. Yeah. I mean, I wish I, 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 I don't know that I wish I could call myself a professional tour caddy, but uh, I was, a, I was a club caddy. I think I could do a good job on tour for the right guy. If, you know, if John Rom comes calling, I may, I may, uh, I may get out of the TV biz, but uh, I, most of my closest friends that I met through the PGA tour have been caddies. That is 100% the truth. Uh, I've shared houses with, so few players, but I've shared houses with, you know, 15 to 20 different caddies. And I, I do, I love, I love caddies. I think the y'all are just, it's just, it's more reality than, and I, I think a lot of people, a lot of players on the PGA tour get into this. It's, it's not reality. It's a fantasy land. And, and a lot of times they behave that way as well. Right. What's your uh, favorite Pepsi Steve story from your guys' time together? <laughs> You know, Pepsi could run a little hot, right? Yeah, yeah. He actually got suspended one week for for cussing out a volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> it was in San, it was in San Diego. I hooked where I'm left off the ninth. Ended up being over the fence, out of bounds. And as I'm getting a ride back, apparently he berated the volunteer for uh, <laughs> not signaling or something. Say again for not signaling. Yeah, for not like yeah, and he's yes, I guess that that's what it was. They're not being able to find the ball, but this yep. is like a seventy-five year old. But that's not my favorite. Well, my favorite one that that I saw him berate somebody was uh, we were on seventeen at the Magnolia Course in Disney. Yeah, and uh, I was getting ready to get over a putt, and someone in the group before had drilled a spectator and they were about to get ambulanced out of there. And so this ambulance comes pulling right up next to the green lights are on and I'm over the putt and I back off. Obviously there's an ambulance that's making noise. And, and this is such a great trait of Pepsi. Like he wanted everybody to be quiet. You know, it's like your show quiet, please. He wanted everybody to be quiet when I was playing. That's a huge part of being a caddy and he was trying to direct the ambulance he's like you need to get out of here my guy's putting and i said pepsi somebody's getting loaded into an ambulance we can wait a couple of minutes and let him get out of here please right. don't try to direct the ambulance but right. steve was the best we had so many good times and uh i loved the you know i he would when he would hide pepsis and other yeah play and other caddies bags mm-hmm. and then pull it out like four holes later and he uh, i mean he, he would make other people carry him. He'd hit him, hide him all over the golf course. I could talk Pepsi forever. But I'll give you my favorite or one of my favorites just that shows, because he's always got your back when he's working for you. And then when uh, he's he's thinks on his feet really well, that one where in Omaha, when you guys were playing the final round and you were making the turn and you guys had a chance to get an umbrella. And between the two of you, it was decided you didn't need one for the back. And then you get like, 
you know, four holes on the backside and his summer storm opens up and it's raining and he has to go into the crowd. And, you know, I think at first you had your wife's umbrella maybe. And then it was like one of those pop-up little, like you push a button and it's, it's this big. Yeah. The little personal one. And then he went in there and he bought an umbrella off a guy for 20 bucks, of course. And it was the wrong brand. And, you know, you ended up going on and winning. So I remember that story, but you weren't, he wasn't working for you at the time. So then just give me your play by play. Cause you gave me a couple like running hot stories when you saw that he got in an argument with Miguel in, oh. <laughs> in the match play when he's ready for Keegan, what did you think? I, I, I was like, yep, that's Pepsi. I mean, it just, it, I'd seen that face when he gets that face and he's, you know, he starts wagging his finger. Like you can tell, I, I never wanted to cross Pepsi and us splitting up was the hardest thing I've had to do in the, in the golf industry. I, I, I love the man. I, I and, and he, it just, it, our, our relationship had run its course at the time. And, and it was a really hard decision. I didn't execute it well. He didn't handle it well, but he and I are back and friends and we've, you know, hung out in the Dominican and in, in Puerto Rico a little bit. And it's just so good to see him. And I'm so glad that he's, he's a friend of mine again. And, and I know he and Richie split up, but I saw him, on, I saw him on the bag with who? The Gim Reaper. Yeah. <laughs> Doug Garam, that's right. Yeah, Micah's not on that bag. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, no, Micah Caddy's for that uh, guy out of uh, South Korea. That's kind of new. Um, I don't know his name, but they've been pretty good. No, 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 no. That's not that guy. No, the other there's a there's another Kim. It's I think it's another Kim. I think that's who uh, Mike. It's like S H Kim or something. Yep, yep, yep. That's him. Um, Last call, Lance passed away yesterday. Did you hear that? Did he really, Lance Timbro? He did. I guess he had been kind of sick, and you know there was some news releases yesterday about it, and and read some articles about it and stuff. I mean, I had a chance to, you know, great guy. I think he's sixty-seven years old, and um, I mean, legendary caddy player. I mean, made a ton of cuts in the PGA Tour. Played an event one week where he caddied and played in the same event. Um, I'm sure you've had some pops with him over the years. I remember going out and playing golf with him and his son Jonathan. Uh, one time and I hung out with them in Vegas one time it's a story I can't even tell on the air like uh, I mean you know it's just an example of a great character in the caddy yard he was always a guy like if, if I ever missed a cut on a Friday and was going out to have a couple beers and I'd walk in I'd see Lance there and it was always a good time I mean I, uh, and Jonathan is he still caddying his son you know I don't I don't know if Jonathan's caddying or not he reached out to me recently um, and I'm not sure if he still is, but, uh, I know he's in Florida. He's, he reached out to me here recently. So I, I did you know, say a prayer for Jonathan. Cause I know him and his dad, you know, that was a good relationship, you know, tight relationship for him. So, um, I was, I was also looking a little bit, I want to get some like potpourri stuff. I mean, what's your fa- There's a new podcast going out on Sirius XM. I think it's all about tiger stories. What's your favorite tiger story, you know, of playing with him over the years or being around him? I only played with him once. Uh, it was a practice round in 2012 at the Open Championship at Lytham in St. Anne's. Um, I set it up. I, 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 Freddie was Freddie Couples was such a, a inspiration to me growing up, and I played with Freddie a handful of times. So I got to know uh, I got to know uh, uh, Joe Lacava pretty well, and really befriended him. So it was at the Players Championship in 2012. I went up to Joe and I was like, "Hey, I'd really like to set up a practice round with Tiger at some point." And he's like, well, let's do the open championship. I'll set it up with him. It'll be Tuesday. We'll play at 630. And so the day comes and I didn't even know if it was going to happen. Uh, we reached out to, to Joe. And we're like, are we, are we on for this? And he's like, yeah, it's just going to be the two of us. Uh, and so get out there at 630 a.m. We tee off number one and there's one person on the tee. By the time we got to the green, there was 15 people. By the time we got to the third tee, there's 150 people, and the crowd just kept uh-huh. growing and growing. And by the time we got to 18, I mean it's it's 10 o'clock in the morning, and you know the grandstands at the Open Championship how they just kind of flanked the last 50, 60 yards of the hole, and um, the grandstands were full, mm-hmm. and 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 it was the most amazing day. I I asked him, and I I didn't I didn't want to wear him out with questions and stuff, but I didn't know if I was ever going to get to play with Tiger again. And and so I I asked him everything I really wanted to over the course of eighteen holes, and he answered everything. Was really generous with his information, and and uh, I, I was following him around like a puppy, like I was chipping where he was chipping from. I was putting the putts he was putting, and, yeah. and uh, 
But I asked him, we were about to finish. I said, what are you going to do with the rest of your day today? And he's like, oh, well, I'm going to go get my workout in and I'm going to go do this and I got to do this. And and he just was so regimented. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm going to go to the pub, have some lunch, and I'm going to be asleep by three o'clock. So <laughs> I can do it my way, too. <laughs> um, so um, what's it like? I got a few questions before we get you out here. Like, what's it like when you're not playing as much and then you jump into competition? Like, I know now you're kind of fully on the broadcasting side, but you see some of these guys that are kind of swinging between tours or maybe past champion status. And you've been at home for a while. And now, all of a sudden, you get the chance to tee it up. How how difficult is that uh, for so people can understand that? The last couple of years have been really tough for me. Basically, since COVID, um, I've been playing off of one twenty six to fifty, and now past champion. And when you get you know you get in, you play. You never get two events in a row. Very occasionally, rarely in that status will you play twice in a row. And so, you cannot recreate the competitiveness of the PGA tour. I don't care who you live around. I don't care if you're in Jupiter and you've got Tiger Woods and all these guys to play against. You cannot recreate PGA tour competition. So I think the hard part for me was, is that I'm showing up to Puerto Rico and I hadn't played an event in two months. Mm -hmm. And then the next time I play, I hadn't played an event since Puerto Rico, which was a month before. And, and, and there's just no rhythm that you can get into uh, and, and that, that was the hardest part for me. And, and also thinking like my starts are very limited, so I need to play well this week. So I put, I would put a lot of pressure on myself and it's, it's just hard. Cause when you're on tour, you play three weeks in a row, you have a week off. So when you get home for that week off, you take the first couple of days off and then you really dive back in, hit a bunch of balls. And when you're home for a month, it's not like you can just grind every day. You're going to wear yourself out. And I got, I, I actually had some real wrist issues because I was hitting so many balls at home. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, I never figured out how to prepare like that. And that's what I think one of the greatest things about Tiger's career was, is that he had that past champion sort of schedule. He played once a month and what he did to get ready and to be that sharp, that's, pretty amazing and that's probably a question i wish i could have asked him at the time <laughs> well then just to kind of contrast that a little bit i was watching before we hopped on here today uh, i saw that your favorite golf memory at least what you put up on the five clubs website was this putt you made in 15 in houston to you know eventually get into a playoff with spieth and, and jb holmes and i mean it was awesome you had a great celebration and stuff i mean maybe talk about that, but just more so like when you're playing good golf, when you remember yourself playing really good golf and you're in a lather and stuff um, and you are going for wins and you're closing, like what do you remember noticing about yourself when you're in those situations? The, uh, the, the intensity and the focus uh, that, that I'm able to have. And that, that year in Houston, I knew I needed JB had posted and we were on 16, I believe when he posted, I was in the second to last group. And so, didn't birdie 16, needed to make a birdie on 17 or 18 and tough finishing stretch at the old Houston golf course. It's Redstone and then Golf Club of Houston is what it's called. Mm -hmm. But 17, 18 are brutal. And I hit a three hybrid into 17 as a back right flag. And I was dead aim. If it hit the lip of the bunker and kind of came back in, if it had been a yard left, it would have been a foot. And yeah. uh and I hit this, I'm a terrible bunker player. And I was so focused. I was, I had to make the bunker shot because 18, I'm certainly not going to birdie 18 um, into the wind. And so I hit this bunker shot that just grazed the edge and went seven feet by. And like, there was just no doubt in my mind I was making that putt, right? Wow. I, I, my goal was set. I was going to tie JB Holmes. And so I bury the par putt, get to 18, stripe it down the middle, hit a four iron, back left hole location you can't i mean for the foreign you just can't take dead aim at that so i hit it about 25 feet right and it's a putt i practice i love houston i was a past champ there in 08 and, I, and I, it's, it was my favorite golf course week before the masters overseeded just the purest conditions and i practiced this putt every practice round and uh and i knew exactly what it was going to do it kind of goes back right at the end that you would never see yep. and so the putt was about I think it was about a foot and a half away and I saw it take that little right turn and it was like in the, so gutted. It was <laughs> going to go into a thimble and I was just started just going crazy and fist pumping and, and you know, J Jordan was in the group behind in the fairway watching and he still had a chance actually to, to win with the birdie. He ended up making par, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was, that was without a doubt the highlight of my career, making a putt on, on the 18th green, forcing a playoff at my favorite tournament, 
Um, yeah, it was the, <laughs> my heart at that moment. I felt like it, it was going to just explode out of my chest. I, it was, it was the coolest feeling. And, uh, that's the kind of stuff you just can't recreate. You can't practice for those moments. Yeah. You high stepped all over the green and you about took Hauser's hand off with your high five. I noticed <laughs> he took it though. He took yeah. it. He's like, you know what? He's like, <laughs> he, he definitely, he, he went in for the full, for the full high five. Took a good caddy. Speaking of another win you had, um, you beat Spencer Levine in a playoff in Mayakoba in 2011. Did you notice that Spencer had a win a couple weeks ago on the corn Ferry tour? Yeah, I was doing golf central uh, that week and we were kind of sitting waiting on the desk. It was uh, RBC week. We were waiting for the playoff to with uh, Jordan Spieth and and uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick and, and Spence won. And, and we kind of got on the headsets with the producers and we're like, we got to talk about Spencer. And so we, we got to talk about Spence on Golf Channel. And uh, yeah, such a good dude. And, you know, he's 147 career cuts on the PGA Tour. He's yeah. three cuts away from 150, which. I don't know if you know this, but that gets you veteran member status and you become a lifetime member of the PGA Tour. You don't have to have a win if you have 150 cuts. That's like Brendan DeYoung, Ricky Barnes. There's been a bunch of guys that, that haven't won that have that. So uh, hopefully he can – I mean, he's got to be in good position to to get his card. And, man, Spence is such a good dude. Yeah, that's awesome, man. He's kind of like – he's given some things up in his life. Like he seems super focused. He's putting like Happy Gilmore now. They're going in. He's striped is shows. He, so he, like, like He's split gripping it? Yes, yes, that's exactly what he's doing. So uh, we're looking for more good stuff out of Spence. All right, let's talk about music a little bit, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, do you listen to music while you're playing golf at home? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so what do you what do you put on? What do you like to put on? Like, what's your go to? Yeah, I've cultivated a, a playlist that that it's called the best playlist on Spotify, and uh, a lot of Grateful Dead, uh, a lot of classic rock, some country. Um, some Jack Johnson, some Dave Matthews, like it's, it's an, it's an eclectic mix, but it's, it's for sure. Grateful dead heavy. I love, I love the dead. And when I play golf, I don't want, I think guns and roses, sweet child of mine would probably be the hardest song that's on there on that playlist. Cause I, when you, when you play golf, I like to have a nice beat. I don't want rage against the machine or anything, even though I, I do listen to rage, but uh, I think the grateful dead has such a good beat for the golf course that, uh, uh, it's pretty much what I listen to all the time. And Pepsi Steve introduced me to the Grateful Dead, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think you need more of a jam bandy kind of thing than like hip hop. Like, I think if you're playing good already, like you've got a good rhythm going, maybe throw some hip hop on. But if you're not playing good and you got hip hop on, it just seems like a clash. So makes a lot of sense. And I know your podcast you're doing with Brendan DeYoung, and you guys had Andy Roddick on recently, uh, uh, born in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, but you said you want to have some music guests on too. So who would be your dream music guest to have on your podcast? Well, I've got three guys that, that I've become pretty good friends with through the golf world. Uh, Drew Holcomb. He's a uh, singer songwriter. I don't want to lump him into the country music scene, but he's pretty much country. He lives in Nashville, Tennessee. His music is fantastic. Uh, Drew Holcomb and the neighbors. And he is a great golfer, loves the game. He's a member of some really cool places, including golf club of Tennessee and, and Nashville. He's definitely going to come on. He's become a, become a really good friend. Jeff Kementi is a keyboardist for dead and company. Okay. Um, we played golf a few times together as well. You know, Chris P Jones has been the one that's hooked me up with most of these guys, not, not yep. Drew, but, uh, and Jeff is, is, is a golf nut. I, and I, I just love, I don't know what tour life is for musicians, but I imagine it it's roadies and parties and drugs and doing this. And, and these, these, these musicians that, that play golf, they finish their show, they go to bed, they get up the next morning and they go play the coolest golf course in whatever city they're in. And, and, and what golf has done for them to keep them not only alive, but, you know, keep them out of, out of harm's ways is, is pretty incredible. And then the last is uh, Rob Quartz. He's the drummer for, dark star orchestra which is a grateful dead tribute band and uh, he's he's the worst of the bunch jeff jeff Cominti, he's breaking 80 drew's breaking 80 and uh, rob quartz is more like a 16 handicap loves the game and, and uh he's he's a blast to be out with he's the one that you know i'd want to play with and have have a few beers the other two the other two want to have a serious match but uh I, crispy got me into i met rob once at a dark store dark star show yeah, yeah. he's 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 been he's fantastic Rob's, Rob's the man, but yeah, those, those are the three guys that I'm thinking about. So don't there's steal. Them. One. I, okay. I, there's another one that I've, I've, I don't know the the music as well. And I want to get into him, but there's a guy, the lead singer for the band war on drugs. 
is a huge golf nut. I don't know if that's a, a band that you've listened to at all, but that might be something to uh, check out. I, I don't know where I saw that story. I'll be listening to them on the way to the course today. Love it. Pull up on Spotify. Um, what's the best concert you've ever been to? Oh man. Uh, well, I've been to, I've been to a bunch of dead and company shows and I love them. Go back every time. Uh, the, I think the best show I've ever been to was, it was when we played in Gilroy, the Safeway was at, uh, what was that place called? Uh, Court of all in, yeah. in Northern California. And it was Saturday night and widespread panic was playing in San Francisco and Jack Johnson was playing in Oakland and Jack Johnson was playing at like a 2000 seat theater. Usually I'd seen Jack play massive amphitheaters, 25,000 people. And it was me, Hauser, Brian Reed and Andy Sanders. And uh, the four of us, <laughs> I said, we had Mercedes courtesy cars. And I, I can't remember. I think I made Brian Reed drive. I was like, Brian, you're driving. We're going to see Jack Johnson. And it was sick. Like seeing him in a venue like that, this is the first time I ever heard him play uh, the Joker by Steve Miller band. Um, and what makes that story even better is that uh, Andy and Jimmy Walker won their first event together the next day. We, I mean, we got back at two o'clock in the morning and Andy Sanders goes out and wins, wins the, the fries.com with, with uh, Jimmy. So, and that kind of spurred them on their, their great run of winning six times in three years, including a major. Love it. All right. Last question. We'll get you out of here. I like to ask all my guests this one, um, you know, and we'll have to tweak it a little bit for you, but uh, we'll say playing final round of the masters. I've been catting for you all week. We've been having a great week. Uh, I go out on Saturday night, like Andy and I break my leg, so I can't go on Sunday and you can call anyone in the world to have caddy for you to get you across the finish line. Now you can't have Pepsi. You can't have Hauser. You can't have your brother who you've had a lot before. So we could modify this question a little bit to say like one caddy to get you across the finish line at the masters that you would take, or a caddy that you never had a chance to have work for you, you know, maybe a current caddy or past caddy that you'd be like, man, I would love to have that guy in my bag. Is there somebody that comes to mind? Yeah, I would have said Hauser, but second choice is fluff without fluff. a doubt. I've always, I've, I, I love fluff. Mike Cowan. He is so cool and has been such a good, just he's, he's been so nice to me since my rookie year. I just really like fluff, love hanging out with him. Uh, that would be really fun to have him, him on the bag. Love it. Great answer. Hey, Johnson, thanks for taking some time this morning. Have a good call today. Uh, and we'll keep watching you, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on.